Hello and welcome to the Pittsburgh Pirates Rant Podcast for a Monday in the middle of March. In fact, we're so much right smack in the middle of March that we're right smack in the middle of spring training. The Pirates have today off. It's a Monday. And it is about halfway between when the pitchers and catchers reported to Bradenton, Florida, and when they're going to, um, when some of them are going to go north to Pittsburgh. So I was going to get into a couple things later, um, a couple guys that surprised me during spring training. But hey, a couple things went on <clears throat> this weekend. My, my sleep schedule got all screwed up. I just woke up, by the way. Uh, my daughter Vic came to visit on Sat- Sunday. Um, so after working like a long Saturday, I didn't get the normal like long sleep that I normally get. So I came down and um, hung out with her for a while. And then when I went back to sleep, I didn't wake up until just before work. And I was working at 7 o'clock at night. Um, so I wake up around 5 o'clock. I still have to eat dinner. I got to take a shower. I got to do all this stuff. I got to get to work. So, you know, I actually felt pretty good getting into work yesterday. Um, but there just wasn't enough work. And it was just boring. And I had to kill time. And I was also looking at this um, potential snowstorm that was supposed to be forming because I was thinking in my mind that I was going to have to call off today. Um, but the way a nor'easter works, that's the kind of snowstorm this was supposed to be, is you have cold air coming down from Canada across Lake Erie, typically, you know. And along with that cold front, you have this warm front that's very strong pushing up the coast. And the problem is um, sometimes this warm front like forms from um, the Gulf of Mexico and also meets one that's coming up like North Carolina. The problem is um, like most nor'easters, this one fizzled out, at least for my area. Um, The warm front over the ocean went further out to the ocean. And the only areas that's really going to affect with snow might be Boston, but really the western suburbs of Boston, because Boston's so close to the ocean that they're going to get rain. And then New Hampshire and Maine, I'm sure we'll get some snow, um, just because they're far enough north, um, and either further east, the way the um, country goes, if you look at it, um, that they're going to get some of this snow, you know, and it's not just going to be rain like they're getting in Philadelphia and D.C. and Baltimore and places like that. So I was looking at that, you know, I was just distracted last night, you know, I was also looking at the um, NCAA tournament bracket. And I want to talk about that because the NCAA tournament in basketball has become a lot like Major League Baseball in that you have a fraction of the teams that used to have a chance really have a chance year in, year out. I don't know if they spend that much money on recruiting. Um, I think it's more that These guys want to go to um, the NBA and they feel like they have a better chance if they go to a college where all the games are going to be on TV or most of the games are going to be on TV, like the big conferences like the SEC and the Big 12 and the Big 10 who have their own network, you know, and places like that. Because you know what? Um, Those mid – there used to be – mid-major conferences that would get several bids every year. Um, The Atlantic 10 would get three bids a year. Um, The Missouri Valley would get three bids a year. The Ohio Valley would get three bids a year. And there were just more mid-major conferences like that. Fun conferences, you know? Teams like the St. Louis Billikens or the Dayton Flyers or, you know, there were teams from the Missouri Valley like Drake 
you know, that would get um, play good enough. You know, they'd be like 23 and seven to get a bid. Nowadays, that doesn't get you a bid. They would rather give a bid to West Virginia, um, who's 19 and 14, than give a bid to um, a mid-major conference. Uh, Even the College of Charleston, who finished 30 and three, probably would not have gotten a bid. This is crazy, but it's true. Probably would have not gotten a bid had they not secured their automatic bid. 30 and three, right? Or something like that. There was another 30 win team that's in the tournament that wouldn't have gotten a bid. Um, I don't know if they're diff- they're doing the ratings differently, um, but it used to be like the Sagarin ratings or whatever. Um, it used to be these mid-major conferences. They would schedule, you know, tough teams um, before they hit their, um, you know, their regular conference schedule. And they would win some of those games, you know, like you'd have a team like Temple that would have a couple wins um, over, let's say, like UNLV, which used to be a big deal back then, um, or Ole Miss, you know, who's in a big time conference or even Duke, you know, heading in to their conference tournament. But man, the NCAA has changed a lot because you had one um, you had one tournament, now one conference with eight wins, eight teams. You had another conference with eight teams. And you had another conference with seven teams. So there's like 23 teams um, out of the at-large bids. You know, more than half of what would be considered at-large bids uh, came from three conferences. You know, what fun is that? You know, it's it's no fun to me. You know, it's not like it used to be. I mean, you have a few teams that have won their conferences where you get to see like a mid-major take on a big-time school in the first few rounds. <clears throat> but it's not like it used to be. I don't know how much of it I'll watch anyway because I'll be working and I don't have the money to bet on it. So for the most part, eh, I'm not really watching the NCAAs. Because I have this podcast and it's focused around Pittsburgh, you know, and I've been um, talking to people from Pittsburgh and I went to Slippery Rock and we're looking to retire in Pittsburgh. I did kind of look at where these team local teams are going, you know. And I noticed that Pitt, as a play-in team, has a better chance of getting to the Sweet 16 than West Virginia. And it's not even close, you know. And here's why. If Pitt wins their playoff, their play-in game, they'll play a fifth-round team. It'll be a 5-12 matchup or a 4-12 matchup or something like that. And if they win that one, all they have to do is beat Xavier. And that's if Xavier makes it that far. And Xavier is very beatable. Um, The reason that West Virginia will not make it to the Sweet 16 is because they have to play, uh, I think it's Alabama, they have to play a number one seed in the second round. And number one seeds generally don't lose that game in the second round. Um, They usually make it to at least the third round. You don't always have number one seeds in the final four. Usually you got one or two at least. Um, But number one seeds generally um, don't get knocked out in the first couple rounds, in the first weekend. You know, there, there might be some close calls. Um, West Virginia might give them a run, although they might end up still end up losing by like 15, you know, when it's all said and done. Pitt could definitely beat Xavier. I mean, Xavier is an ex-Atlantic um, 10 school. You know, they're a city school, just like Pitt, just like Temple. Anything could happen, you know. So um, the X-Men, I, I mean, I imagine that they're pretty good this year. But I also think Pitt is no slouch. Um, they finished pretty strong. And they have some upperclassmen um, 
that have been that have decided to stay with the school for a couple years, apparently. So Pitt has a little bit more um, uh, experience, you know, and that helps when you get to the Big Ten through the to the um, NCAA tournament. Um, just because if you have guards that have been around for a while, um, you know, forwards that have been around for a while, it helps you over guys that are basically um, freshmen. Now, Duke um, and teams like that, Duke has all freshmen, you know, and half of their team is probably going to be drafted just because it's Duke and they get all kinds of TV games and they get all kinds of, they just have a, um, you know, a good reputation. Even last year, which was Coach K's last year, they made it to the Final Four. And I don't think any team has more Final Fours over the last 30 years than Duke. Um, so we kind of talk about, um, the last 30 years. It always reminds me of the pirates because they've only made the playoffs three times in the last 30 years. Uh, and it was those three years that were together, you know, I think they've only had winning records like four times out of the past 30 years, but man, that's hard to believe in it. Sure is. Um, anyway, uh, I was going to talk about a few guys who have surprised me in camp, um, this year, um, because you have, Halfway through camp, um, a lot of the players were pretty much what I expected them to be, you know. But I would say um, there's four guys that kind of stuck out who surprised me in camp. Three of them for good and one of them for bad. Um, So I'll start with the bad. Jared Triolo is a guy that um, he hit okay in the minor leagues, right? Um, But he was known for being a really good defender. And I guess he's been a good defender in camp, honestly. I haven't really seen a lot of his defense in camp. But um, when you go 0 for 18 in camp, nobody's talking about your defense. You know what I mean? If you go 0 for 18, that's really bad. Now, here's the thing. They decided to protect Jared Triolo, and they didn't protect Blake Sable. And Blake Sable has gotten off to a good start in the first half of camp for San Francisco. Now, I don't think it's a huge thing. I mean, Blake Sable is likely to be the backup catcher in San Francisco, um, now, San Francisco is a good team. They've been the best team in baseball as far as most World Series over the past 15 years. They have three or four of them. But, you know, they're not looking to contend this year, you know. Now, they still spend money, which is unusual, you know, if you're not one of those top 10 teams. San Francisco Giants will still keep their best players and keep their veterans, you know, throughout most of their contracts. They'll spend enough money to do that. You know, they're generally spending about $150 million on their payroll. Um, but they're not expected to contend this year. It's not a big a deal as most people are making because a lot of people forget that, you know, major league prospects rarely make it. So a guy like Blake Sable, he might make the team as a, um, you know, as a backup catcher. Is he still going to be playing in the majors two or three years from now? The odds are against it, right? I mean, it's possible, but the odds are against it. But it's just surprising that um, there was such a big difference between Jared Triolo and Blake Sable. And Triolo was the guy that we protected. But it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? Yeah, that's always the way it works. That's always what they do. They pick the wrong guy. They protect the wrong guy. You know, they play the wrong guy in the wrong position. Then he goes to another team and does much better. 
Um, but as as far as the guys who looked really good, um, I mentioned Travis Swaggerty lots of times, and that was just a surprise because he hasn't done anything since he was drafted out of college in 2018. He batted like 230 his first year, you know, and then he was, you know, he was hurt. There was the pandemic. He came back. He was he was hurt again, and then like he did really not good last year. His OPS might have been under 700. And typically, a good rule of thumb is if you expect to be able to hit in the major leagues, you better have like an 830 OPS or higher in double and triple A, you know, to even have a shot, Um, which is why people were so excited about Andy Rodriguez, because he hit so well last year across all of the leagues. But I'm actually not feeling bad that Andy Rodriguez um, is going to spend a few months in the minor leagues. I don't think it can hurt him, you know. Can't hurt um, getting some extra experience and getting some extra um, confidence. You know, see, it doesn't seem like a bad thing. I mean, he hasn't. He's only had a handful of at bats this spring. I think he's like three for nine, um, and he's got a double in there. You know, so it's not like we've seen a lot of Andy Rodriguez. Maybe he's four for twelve. I don't know, something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, let him play. You know, let him play in Triple A. And hopefully he dominates and he's knocking on the door. You know what I mean? Um, so, but I didn't start talking about Andy Rodriguez. I started talking about Swaggerty, who, okay, you wouldn't think this is a guy that's going to hit in the major leagues. To me, he's about the same as um, Suwinski, except he strikes out a little less. Um, but maybe he doesn't have quite as much power as Suwinski, but he's got some power. If you're If you're asking me, would I rather start the season as my starting center fielder be Swaggerty or Sawinski? I would go Swaggerty because I've already seen Sawinski, you know. I already know that there's not much there. And Sawinski could be your fourth outfielder and play any position. You know, and Swaggerty has definitely looked, and he's a first-round talent, right? He has definitely looked good enough to play defense in center field in the major leagues. Defense is a major problem with this team, you know, so it's good to have good defense up the middle. If you're going to have your best defense up the middle, this other guy that surprised me in spring would be your everyday second baseman. And of course, I'm talking about Nick the Stick Gonzalez, who is one of my favorite players, and the stick is coming back, right? So Nick Gonzalez um, has looked really, really good this spring. Now, what surprised me about it was not that he's batting 400, although that's really nice to see. And he actually hadn't been hitting that well over the past couple years. And a lot of people had pointed out that he just strikes out too much. And if you know my podcast, I've said over and over and over and over, over the course of a year, that his big problem is he's trying to hit home runs, you know? Why not just shorten your swing again and be Nick Gonzalez? Well, that's what he's done, right? That's what he's done this spring. He went back to his old swing, a little bit shorter, you know, a base hit swing where you hit some doubles once in a while. And he's batting 400. But the thing that surprised me is his elite defense. Nick Gonzalez has looked really good. And there is no question that Nick Gonzalez is the best second baseman. Um, Even if Rodolfo Castro is a similar hitter to Nick Gonzalez, he plays a terrible defense at second base. And he plays a terrible defense at third base. I mean, Rodolfo Castro is a guy that should be your fourth infielder, and you should have Nick Gonzalez at second. There's no question about it, you know? And Nick Gonzalez can help out um, 
a guy like um, Cruz, who he's played with before, you know, with that solid defense, you know, he can help them get more double plays, which can help save your bullpen innings. And this bullpen needs saved because this bullpen has been terrible. Um, Another guy who, um, and will be terrible this year in all likelihood, um, another guy that really surprised me was Carmen Majinski, the Mlad man, you know. Now, he came out of college a couple years ago, second-round pick. Um, came out guns a-blazing, right? Everybody noticed that he looked really good right out of college, um, as a starter, for that matter. And um, Carmen Majinski um, got an injury about halfway through um, – Maybe it's a season and a half ago. It wasn't last season. And he never recovered from that. And he wasn't very good last year at all. He just couldn't get that consistency last year at all. So when he came into camp and he's throwing 97, 98, you know, but he's also hitting his spots and he's having easy innings and he's changing speeds. It's like, whoa, we didn't expect this from Carmen Majinski, you know, like we haven't seen this until, you know, since he just came out of college. So he arrived a little bit early along with Mike Burrows and got his work in, you know, so maybe he's a little bit ahead of the hitters at this point. But still, you know, the fact that Carmen Majinski is looking this good makes him one of the four players that really surprised me at camp this year. Um, You know, what can I say about the guy? He, because our bullpen stinks, you know, and the only guaranteed guy we have in our bullpen that we feel sort of good about getting outs I think I feel pretty good about getting outs when you have a lead is David Bednar, who pitched well in the um, in the USA game a couple nights ago. Um, but other than that, there's nobody that I feel confident in, you know, whether it be Will Crow or whether it be Colin Holderman or whoever these clowns are that we're probably not even going to remember their names in a few years in the bullpen. Um, maybe he can develop into an actual bullpen arm. And maybe um, Mike Burroughs can develop into an actual bullpen arm to where those two guys, you know, kind of form an elite bullpen with Bednar. Because the only time we've ever won is when we had an elite bullpen. And that was 2013, 2014, 2015. You know, we always had a really, really good shutout bullpen to where there was like three guys, three or four guys that you could really count on. So if you're looking at planning a team, And you're looking at, okay, well, maybe this team has a shot because now forget about the outfield. Our out, we have no outfielders once, um, you know, once Reynolds leaves. So forget about the outfield. Um, but if you're talking about the infield, um, you could have Andy Rodriguez, a catcher. You could have Key Brian Hayes at third. You could have O'Neill Cruz at short. And you could have Nick Gonzalez at second. And you already have four fit yeah, first base, who the hell knows. But you already have four fits of your infield. And I'm not saying that those guys are great. Potentially, Nick Gonzalez and um, Key Brian Hayes are going to be a little more light-hitting than you would like. But that doesn't really matter as long as Cruz and um, Andy Rodriguez are hitting. You, know? you have four guys that you know are going to be with your team for several years. This is a problem. We've been tearing down the um, team every year. Um, you're talking about guys that will be with the team for several years. The only guy we've had with the team for several years is um, Mitch Keller and, of course, Brian Reynolds. But it looks like he's going to be gone maybe at the deadline this year. But, I mean, you have to have that stability 
if you want to be a good team. And Nick Gonzalez could be the Neil Walker of this team, you know, if they end up panning out. And there was one other guy that surprised me, but I don't know if I'm going to remember who it was, to be honest with you. So, oh yeah, Jared Triolo. Um, I think I mentioned him first. He went 0 for 18. You know, that's been really disappointing. Um, Travis Swaggerty. Uh, he is a guy that, um, you know, I didn't expect anything coming into camp, and he looks good. Um, Nick Gonzalez, he has surprised me with his elite defense. And then the fourth guy is, um, I don't know, the guy that I just mentioned. Ay, 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 I need to get another cup of coffee. I just woke up. But anyway, enjoy the rest of the week. I'll be checking in with you from time to time. Hopefully more exciting things happen throughout this um, spring as we get ready to break camp. Peace out.